Today on the Lazy RPG Talk Show, we have a lot of different spotlights. We are going to take a look at the Grimtooth Traps crowdfunding campaign that's ending real soon. I think it's 60 hours or 50 some hours from the recording of this show. You probably have, if you're watching this on YouTube, you probably have a day left. If you're watching this later, it's probably over. But you probably pick up the book itself or pre-order or stuff like that. We have, we're going to take a look at the Seeker's Guide to Enchanted Emporiums, a new book uh, that's being partnered with with Ghostfire Games for Towns. We're going to look at Drake's Drake Cobalt Sun's Exotic Weapons and Gadgets, a small accessory you can pick up on DriveThruRPG to add futuristic weird, wild sort of Gamma World style weapons and items to your RPGs. Uh, N-World has an excellent article showing all different kinds of freebie things plus bundles that you can pick up during this holiday season. The big topic today is going to be awarding treasure in 5e. How do we go about awarding treasure in 5e? How do we do it? How often do we do it? How much should we offer? All of the talk about treasure we're going to do today. It's going to be an awesome, awesome segment of the show. And we're going to cover more questions from the November 2023 Patreon Q&A all today on the Lazy RPG Talk Show. I'm Mike Shea, your pal from Sly Flourish, here to talk about all things in tabletop role-playing games. This show, like all of the work of Sly Flourish, is brought to you by the patrons of Sly Flourish. Patrons of Sly Flourish get access to all kinds of tools, tips, tricks, source books, resources, and community tools to help you connect with fellow RPG enthusiasts and to uh, help you run your games you get things like a dedicated discord server the monthly q a the city of arches sourcebook uncovered secrets volume one and two a whole bunch of exclusive adventures a bunch of tools random generators tools to help you select maps all kinds of different things that you get for being a patron of sly flourish it's very low cost and offers a tremendous value please check it out and to the patrons of sly flourish thank you so much for your outstanding support I have neglected to talk about Grimtooth's Trap. So if you are not familiar with it, I don't even really know the history, but I know it's been around forever. This kind of fun book called Grimtooth's Traps. There's multiple versions. I think I have the PDFs of them. They're sort of like, if you want the most gonzo traps in your game, like if, if, if a trap door isn't enough and actually you want a trap door that shoots the characters upwards and into a spiked pit that's hidden underneath the tarp up above you, that's a mundane trap compared to some of the stuff you see in Grimtooth's traps. I saw this. They're now putting it out there for both 5th edition and for Dungeon Crawl Classics. It's being produced by Goodman Games and they have a backer kit crowdfunding campaign going on currently. 57 hours left from now. If you're listening to this on the podcast, you probably have a couple days left if you're watching it on the video you probably have a day and a half left if you're watching this sometime even later than that then the campaign might be over but i imagine they will have a pre-order page so you would be able to take a look at this book i backed at the pdf level i was not for full disclosure they did not ask me to talk about this i um i saw this on my own backed it on my own and it looks really cool they do have very happy to say a one-click preview i think it goes right to dropbox and you can download your own copy I would prefer not to. Thank you. And you get uh, a two-page spread that kind of shows you how this thing works. This is like the, the examples of the kind of traps you'll see, right? All very sort of zany. This is, this is one of the best, right? One of the ones right in the beginning is, oh, you tap on the door. The door opens, but it crushes the first guy who's like the second guy in line. They're mashed. Then that hits a trap door that shoots the third guy into the spiked things while the fourth guy is shoved through razor wire and diced into little pieces. So that is an example of like how zany the traps can get. I'll be honest, when I looked at these, they're not entirely practical. I like the idea, and this is a good trap. You ready for a tip? I'll give you a, a separate tip from this backer kit campaign which is mixing two traps together is a really fun way to make traps unique and interesting that it's one thing to have a treasure chest that shoots a poison dart at you very mundane oh i screwed up my thing oh i got shot with a poison dart but when you mix it with another trap say a big electrified net falls on the rest of you now you have two things to look out for Two things to disarm and two things that if you fail will kind of combine together. And actually, I was talking about those Sly Flourish tools. One of them is the Sly Flourish random generator. Really fantastic random generator. I've been, I'm working on this all the time. I've been working on it like crazy over the past few days. And I have a trap section. And when you hit traps, it mixes together two different kinds of traps. It uses an element and a trap twice and then a trigger. So icy snares and sonic beams triggered by iron bound chests, right? 
Each one of them has sort of the, the combination of two different traps, flaming metal discs and fatiguing cages triggered by hanging ropes, arcane snares and explosive alarms triggered by alternating floor tiles. Mixing your traps together is a really fun way to make each trap unique, make it so that disarming is, you know, figuring it out is really interesting, but always keep in mind that, that the best traps are the ones that the characters discover and navigate, not the ones that the characters get tripped up by. But these get really, really zany. They could be fun. Like, you know, certainly if you have certain character, certain situations where it would make sense, uh, if you have like really good kobold engineers who just love building strange traps, it can really work. So really cool, really cool idea, really cool books. And I definitely, I backed it. I'm eager to see it. It's, it definitely reminisces. Many people will tell you that they remember the old Grimtooth traps from the days of yore. Really fun stuff. So you can pick up the PDF for $26, $27. You can pick up the physical versions. The physical versions are actually pretty reasonable. Print plus PDF is $45. This is kind of interesting. I guess that I mean, you can see, uh, this is interesting. The print PDF 5e, print PDF 5e all in one which also includes, let's see, it's only $3 more, so you can tell where the, where the value is. Against the Thieves Guild in print, that $48, that's a pretty good value. I think that they have, so you could get both Grimtooths and 5e. A lot of these, though, I bet are like pretty easy to reskin. So you might want to pick for whatever system you're most likely to run them in, and then you could probably reskin them to anything else. But if a lot of people out there play Dungeon Crawl Classics, they go ahead and do it. It is, here's a little like interesting bit of, interesting bit of data, I think is how many people compared let's see so the people that got the all-in-one you know you can see the dcc versus 5e set here and that's pretty interesting 600 backers back the dcc version all in compared to a thousand backers backing the all-in now for, for 5e now obviously they're getting a lot more people because dc uh, goodman games makes dcc but it also gives you an idea that like you can pretty much stand on your own with another system and then if you want, you could back the whole thing. It looks like the print PDF all in all systems was $96. This feels like a pretty good deal. 48 bucks. Considering it's $26. I'll tell you, this is how they get you, right? They being the general pretty. They get you by making the PDF pretty high so that you're like, well, $27 for the PDF. You're like, it's only $20 more for me to get in print. And of course, you're paying shipping and stuff too. But I don't remember which one I backed, but I'm probably going to go back and back this physical version. Like I need more physical books. This is why I'm surrounded by physical books. But it's a really fun book to sit and sit on a couch and read. So, so I recommend it. So I'm I'm probably gonna pick up the fifth edition version, print and PDF, the all in. Maybe I already did. Maybe I already went through this math and figured it out. And you might as well get the Against the Thieves Guild adventure because it's only three dollars more, and you get in print. Good deal. Anyway, check out Grimtooth's old school traps for five E and DCC. If you remember Grimtooth, you will like it. My friends over at Ghostfire are helping out Eldermancy on a Kickstarter for the Seeker's Guide to Enchanting Emporiums. Not to be confused with the campaign for the Wanderer's Guide to Enchanted Emporiums, which came out a month or so ago from Even Tier Games. Lots of different enchanted and enchanting emporiums out there. A little unfortunate naming collision there. If you are looking for a book to help fill out magical shops, mystical loot, interesting NPCs and treasure that you want to pick up. This Kickstarter looks like a good one. Being kind of produced by Ghostfire Games, you're going to get high quality products. If you've ever seen like the Dungeons of Drakenheim packages that came out, they're really, really good. So if you're looking for that, lots of different stuff you can get. Different, you know, all, the, one thing that whenever you see a Ghostfire one, you know there's tons and tons and tons of stuff you can get. Dice and plushies and patches and all sorts of tchotchkes and doodads, bookmarks and cards and everything else that you can pick up along the way. So a lot of different things you can get for this. If you are looking for a looking to add more interesting magic shops to your games. This looks like a pretty good way to do it. There is, again, I was not sponsored or endorsed for this for this preview here. They do not have a downloadable preview. That makes me sad. But you can see a lot of the quality they have. And I've seen a lot of different stuff that's been produced by Ghostfire, and it's all really good. So that is Enchanting, The Seeker's Guide to Enchanting Emporiums by Eldermancy for 5e, available on Kickstarter now. Doing very well, 26 days, 2,600 backers already. So looks looks good. This one I did receive a preview copy of in full disclaimer, and that's Drake's, Drake Cobalt Sun's Exotic Weapons and Gadgets. This is a short, a 40-page PDF you can pick up on Drive-Thru RPG for five bucks. And the whole idea is to add really interesting sort of weird and wild, I would refer to them as Gamma World style 
weapons and systems that you can put into your standard 5e game it's all kind of comes from this drake Kobaltsum, the in- inventor pseudoscientist and master weaponsmith really interesting idea excellent design really kind of interesting aesthetic and has some maps for different places these are like testing zones the jungle testing zone desert testing zones tundra testing zones npcs drake Kobaltsum and hopperos Hopperos is, of course, a, a free-spirited potion maker. I like he's got, you know, all sorts of strange bottles and things on him. And it has a whole bunch of different cards. You can print these out. You can cut them. You can determine what they've got, different kinds of potions that they have. I really thought that this was interesting. And they not only have, like, random tables for, like, where is the shop going to appear? Where does it show up? But there's a whole table that's like, how exactly do you fit all this strange stuff into your campaign? I think it was back near the end... Weapon generator. Love me some random tables for weapon generations. Good advice for how you're going to incorporate them into your game. Lots of different artwork you can use for your game. So there's a good table about how you can incorporate this stuff into the game. Like, why would it just show up? The adventurers found them in a hidden armory of an evil artificer that they were paid to hunt down. Or a heavily armed drunk man with odd attire is willing to wager them in a dice game for high stakes. So how do you take these super high fantasy, super strange items and drop them into your game? I really like this. This reminded me a lot of the the, the Blasphemies of Bor Boalish, which is an accessory you can get on DriveThruRPG from Robert Schwab. The Blasphemies of Bor Boalish is currently on sale for $1.67. It's a crazy good a crazy good accessory. The Blasphemies of Bor Boalish are essentially a handful of spells from Robert Schwab's Shadow of the Demon Lord that you can that are that are fixed for 5th edition. And they I used these in my game. I had hags casting these spells in my game and they freaked my players out. My players still refer back to them. You remember those weird spells you had that one time? Oh, the blasphemies of Borbolish. And you're like, yeah, and they remember them. This feels very similar to that, that what you have is a small subset of things that you can kind of drop into your game for one interesting thing. You know, the idea of an old artificer, I actually have a game where my wife is playing an artificer. It'd be very cool to have a legendary artificer whose gear is strewn about and they could start locating that gear. I should have put that in. We just played last night and I could have dropped that in. One disclaimer I will make is I looked at all of this. I was like, wow, this is really good. And I was like, the detail and the quality in the artwork is suspiciously detailed. Like that is a really good, really interesting piece of detailed artwork. And there's a lot of it. And it's a $5 piece. And I said, is this AI generated? And I emailed the creator and asked if they are if they are using AI to generate these art these this art. And they are in fact using generative AI to fill in details of these things. So they walked me through their process a little bit, and basically they create the general shape of the item, the general thing that's going on there. And then I guess it's in Photoshop. It has sort of a, a fill-in feature that uses generative AI to fill in parts of the art, and then they go back and blend it in with the rest of the art to make it look like it looks. So it is definitely you know, the, the, the art is augmented with generative AI that, that brought a question of whether I even should spotlight on the show, because I don't know how I feel yet about how generative AI is being used in products and things like this. I did feel like the rest of the design of the product, the, the way that it's laid out, the kind of interesting way the, the, the sort of different way that these items incorporate, you know, their mechanics, how they work, the number of them and sort of the uniqueness of the product maybe say, yeah, it's probably worth looking at with the recognition that I want to say, hey, yes, in fact, it did use generative AI to fill in the details of the items that you find here. Frankly, and 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 so where do I draw the line on something like this? I don't know, frankly. I'm, I'm still, we're all figuring this world out. We're all figuring out how this goes. The one thing I'll say, like, I feel differently about a $5 drive-through RPG product that is offering kind of interesting design where clearly there is a design element that goes beyond just the artwork that there's a there there are design features to this that make it interesting regardless of the artwork that's being used and they're not it's not something where they would not have been able to produce a product like this paying for full art or or doing full art the the creator who made this is a is a is a graphic designer as well as a a a game designer so they did all of this and you really can't get a product like this for 5 bucks i feel differently if it's like a 50 dollar product that somebody was kickstarting I would definitely feel different about it. But that is a showstopper for a lot of people. So if you look at it and say, yeah, I don't want generative AI making the artwork for a product that I want, you are, you know, I'm, I'm 
totally on board with the idea that you don't want to pick up a product like this. If you're like, I don't care, I just want a cool product, then I'm totally on board if you want to pick up a product like this. I thought the product looked cool and interesting enough that I thought it was still worth bringing up. And it is kind of that question of whether or not you know, this is how do where do we want to see this go in the future? The worry, of course, is that we're going to see so much sort of AI generated content that's being driven that all of the places where we get our RPG products are flooded with it and we can't figure out which is which and products that are done by human beings where they're filling in that stuff can be really hard. Right. The difference in the amount of effort that it takes a human being to build products like this compared to an AI generator building products like this is really something to consider. So that's something to, to keep in mind. Regardless, I thought it was a really cool idea. I think for five bucks, it looks pretty interesting and probably worth checking out. Again, I did get a free copy of this for my spotlight. I was not giving any compensation other than that, but it is worth keeping in mind that I did get a free copy from the one that I looked at. Would I buy it? Probably, because I think it's really cool. And again, if you have a need to drop artifacts and items like this into your game, I think you could do so. But the whole question of how we feel about AI generated content is something that I think we're all going to have to figure out and we're all going to have to kind of make our own rules. I brought this up to the Sly Flourish Discord server before I before I did this and said, how do we feel about me talking about something like this on the show? And things went back and forth. I don't think anybody said, do not talk about it on the show. I don't think I had anybody that said, it's you know you shouldn't bring it up. I definitely had people who said, I want to know if it is using generative AI or not. And if it is, I'm probably, I'm not going to buy it totally reasonable i had other people who feel like no i use ai generative stuff for a lot of my rpg product not products so much but rpg accessories that i'm putting out for my players and things like that so i think it's a new tool and we're going to have to figure out how to use this new tool i'm not getting into the larger debate of ai which is a global conversation that's going on in industries far outside of here but i think that it is interesting and it is something that we have to think about about how that kind of work drops into our own to drops into our own world so that is drake Cobaltson's exotic uh, exotic weapons and gadgets you can find a link to drive through rpg in the show notes so we got sales going on all over the place it is the holiday season and we have sales going on all over the place uh, you know I, I thought about highlighting them but i highlighted a, a three for two deal that amazon was doing and it was by the time the show came out they were already not doing it again and then three later three, three days later they did it again so me trying to chase down the best deals that you can find in good rpg products is really hard to find one that i did see you know i'm gonna say oh, i'm not gonna bother and then i'm gonna i'm gonna do it cobalt press is having a big sale of their work i don't know how long it's gonna last but right now on the cobalt press website on the cobalt press store you can pick up the midgard world book hardcover and pdf for 30 bucks that seems like a really good deal uh i it's one of my favorite source books i use it like crazy i love it i don't know how long it's going to be on sale for so you might want to pick it up pretty quickly you can find a link to that in the show notes but N-World has a, thing. I was just looking at it this morning. I think they just put it out this morning. This morning at 5 a.m. I call it N-World and everybody yells at it. E-N-World. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Morris. E-N-World. I can't help it. I don't know why I got stuck on N-World. Drow, Drow, same problem. Anyway, they have a bunch of freebie sales and charity bundles that they do. They do a uh, article every week for. It's definitely worth taking a look. I've been spending a lot more time. I've been getting away from places like Reddit and other sort of in shitified networks and going to more like websites and EN world EN world has been around for a long time and I'm really enjoying their website. And I like, that's where I really catch up on the RPG news that's going on. I really dig it. So they have a whole bunch of like groups that have put out a bunch of stuff for free stuff that they put out there for pay what you want with suggested prices. And then a whole bunch of different bundles that are going on. They cover different bundles that are happening on drive through RPG, different bundles that are happening on bundles of bundles of holding all different kinds of stuff. You can find a link to this charity bundles and sales that are going on take a look at this you can find a link in the show notes below for lots of different sales that are going on uh, across the board in rpgs which we're going to see a lot of over the next month so keep an eye out because there's some fantastic deals coming out let's talk about our big topic today the topic i wanted to talk about today is treasure in DD, treasure in 5e how do we award it when do we award it how often do we award it how much do we award it i don't i, I think I don't know how big a problem this is. I don't know how many people feel like they have trouble award knowing when and how to award items. Maybe it's something that newer players, newer GMs have trouble with. I don't hear about it a lot. It's when I think about the kind of questions I got on the Patreon, I don't really hear a lot about this, but it wouldn't surprise me if out there, there isn't real good, clear understandings of how to award treasure. And that's because you can award it so many different ways. First, I'm going to give a disclaimer and then I'm going to, I'm going to answer all those questions as fast as possible. 
The disclaimer is, of course, there are many different ways to award treasure. You can find the one that you like. You can find the one that works for you and your group, and you can go with that. Nobody is telling you how to do it. There isn't one way that's better than every other way for everybody. Different groups, different players, different GMs, we all have a different thing. That's number one. Number two, awarding treasure is really important to the game. It is one of the eight steps from Return of the Lazy, Lazy Dungeon Master for a very good reason. And that's because the the loot and the awards that players get matters very much to their enjoyment of the game. It matters to their characters. It matters to the growth of their characters. Those, those tangible in-game rewards that they get are a big piece of the game for them. And they are something that are almost completely in the hands of the GM to do. So while we GMs might be far more excited about building custom monsters or setting up really interesting maps with 3D terrain and with dynamic fog and all sorts of other things, the truth is we could probably do a lot by just customizing a few magic items that fit the characters really well and dropping those and those into the game. So loot really matters and you should pay attention to loot. And then three, the way that I recommend doing loot is a mixture of random treasure, random treasure, random tables, and customizing loot for the characters in your game. So you don't just do one of them. You do both. You can pick random horde random hordes of treasure to award your players at the right time, to award the characters at the right time in the game. And mix it with some custom magic items that you select that you think are going to be fun for the game and fun for specific characters in those games. Those Mixing those two things together, I think, work really, really well. How often should you do it? As often as it makes sense during the story of the game. I wouldn't hang on to how often you do it too tightly. I wouldn't say, like, you've got to do four parcels every level. And honestly, looking at different systems, the two different sources that I paid a lot of attention to while doing some research on this topic was the 2014 Dungeon Master's Guide, which actually has really good rules for handling loot. I think I think they're fine. They award a little too much silver at tier two, but generally speaking, they're fine. Uh, a lot of people are like, oh my God, the gold is way off the charts, but we'll, we'll get into that. And then two was Level Up Advanced 5e. The tre Trials and Treasures book from Level Up Advanced 5e has really good treasure tables in it as well. I use those. I actually took a lot of the ideas from those and built them into the Sly Flourish Lazy GM generator. How often? Generally speaking, between one and three major treasure hordes per level is probably fine. If you average about two treasure hordes per level, you're probably on par, but you really don't have to worry about it that much. 5e is not a game that's designed to assume the characters have picked up magic items. It assumes that they picked up some kind of magic item at certain levels. You'll see monsters that are immune to attacks from non-magical weapons and things like that. But generally about fifth level, the expectation should be everybody should have a magic item that directly synergizes with their character. But you have a lot of time to do that. And generally, beyond that, there's not really an expectation that, oh, at this level, you'll have a plus two weapon, or at this level, you have a plus three weapon. doesn't really have anything like that, which means random treasure distributed as it makes sense in the game is probably the best way to do it. That said, you probably want to keep an eye on treasure every session and think to yourselves, is there a good opportunity for, for me to drop treasure into this session or where should I go with it? Uh, I have an article on Sly Flourish that we're going to kind of walk through that covers this topic in a little bit more detail. I wrote it originally in 2017. So it's a six-year-old article, but I just rewrote it this past weekend. I'm going to do another editing pass at some point. It's still, it's still up on the site. So you can find the current draft version that's available. It's still back in the 2017 version, but eventually I'm going to update and resend it out as a newsletter and everything like that. And it covers a lot of what I've been talking about. It brings up this idea that A, treasure really matters. B, that a mixture of random treasure and hand-selected magic items are really what fit. How often you should do it is roughly one to three times per level, but really don't hang on to it too tight. All of these kinds of things. There are a couple of really good articles that have that dove into this topic of like how much treasure is expected. Again, I think we hang on too tightly to the idea that that characters should be receiving a certain amount of gold or treasure at a certain time at certain levels. Like every character should get a magic item every level you know, or every four levels or three levels, you don't have to hang on to that too tightly. Generally, you want to make sure your players are having fun. You want to make sure that their characters are getting magic items that they enjoy, but you don't have to hang on too tight. But if you're interested in a little bit more of the mathematical analysis behind this, there's three articles that you can take a look at. One of them was written by my friend DM David long ago. So he wrote this back in 2015, where he goes through a lot of the math to determine how much gold 
character should be getting at what levels. And it's considered a pretty good one. Again, and I know DMs who have grabbed onto this and say, this is what I follow. This is how much gold I award. And you can do it that way. You can skip the random loot and instead pick this loot. I think it's going to feel a little bit too stale to me. The idea that you want to shake things up. You want to drop in different things. You want to put it in there. And that's why I think a mixing random loot with loot that you select is a better way to do it. This idea of how exactly how many different permanent magic items characters get at certain levels. You don't want to, you know, I, I don't think you want to hang on too tight. But if you want to see the math, this is a good article for it. Andy Perlman also wrote up a big article on N-World where he did an analysis of the math from the Dungeon Master's Guide treasure tables to give an idea of how much and what expectation different characters should have of magic items per day. That went in there. Paul Hughes, who was one of the, the developers of Level Up Advanced 5e, also wrote a article about this. He wrote a few articles that basically said it also doesn't really work. He's got an article where he goes through a lot of the math on how this stuff works. That's all fine. And if you really want to dive in, it's good. But again, the, I really implore you, don't hang on too tight. It doesn't matter that much. And instead, mixing random loot with loot that you select for particular characters is, in my opinion, a better, a generally a better way to go. So how often? Again, don't sweat it. Somewhere between one and three treasure hordes per per level is probably about right how much how much treasure should you award them the interesting thing for me is is there's a lot of issues with fifth edition D&D. things like encounter building things like running hordes things like theater of the mind combat a lot of things that i've been focusing a lot of attention on over the past 10 years while we've been talking about 5e treasure is one of those i think actually works pretty well as written i think the treasure tables that are inside the dmg work really well you can roll on them you can pick different kinds of loot they offer a lot of interesting sort of stuff they kind of make sense for the campaign and the way i actually didn't realize this how it works i had to go back and reread i'm like oh i thought it was level based and i was like well level base doesn't make sense because what if you fight monsters that are higher level should their loot we don't want loot to to fit too closely to the characters right the characters this gets in that whole same thing i get on about lots of things the world doesn't change based on the level of the characters the loot that a dragon the horde that a dragon has doesn't change its value because of the level of the characters. But it turns out the Dungeon Master's Guide recognizes that because it is based on the challenge rating of the monster. And I actually think it's one of the best methods that I've seen, which is you pick a horde. You can kind of pick a horde on a couple of factors. One is, what's the largest monster that they fought in a group? So that way it doesn't kind of matter that the uh, that the ancient red dragon had a bunch of fire elementals. You don't add the fire elementals to it to make the treasure hoard bigger. Instead, you're fighting an ancient dragon. That's CR 26. That means you're picking the highest table. doesn't matter if you beat it when you're level 11. I don't know how you do that. But the hoard you would get would be a CR 26 level hoard, which is there's only four different kinds of hordes anyway. So it's the highest tier hoard. But it's really easy. What's the highest monster that they fought in a battle? Pick the horde that matches that CR, roll it, and you've got yourself a random horde. The Trials and Treasure book from Level Up Advanced 5e, let's pull it up. Level Up Advanced 5e, if you're not aware, is published by EN World Publishing. A lot of, lot of talk about EN World these days. They made a whole new set of core books for 5e called Level Up Advanced 5e, a player's book, a monster book, and a GM's book. Their GM's book is called Trials and Treasure. It is a fantastic book. Even if your players are totally written around, the, or totally built around the 2014 D&D, as a GM, you can use books like this and books like the, the Monstrous Menagerie, two fantastic books, to shake up how 5e works in the back end. And it's very easy for you to, to, to take ideas in, throw ideas out, pick what you want. So for example, you can use the treasure, the treasure, tales, treasure tables from this book instead of what you would use in the Dungeon Master's Guide. Now, like the Dungeon Master's Guide, like the 2014 Dungeon Master's Guide, it bases treasure hordes on challenge ratings. Unlike the 2014 Dungeon Master's Guide, Trials and Treasure is, uses the total amount of monsters the CR total of monsters to determine the horde. So if you are facing five fire elementals of CR five, you're going to have a horde that, and, and then you're going to apply a treasure horde to it. The treasure horde you would apply is roughly the same as the horde that a single ancient red dragon would have of a CR 25, CR 26. I'm not sure I'm crazy about that idea. I, I Because I, I think the idea that a bunch of minions would have a horde as big as a single monster doesn't make a lot of sense to me. I sort of like the 2014 Dungeon Master's Guide version of this better, where you pick the highest CR of the monster, and that's the horde that you select. kind of doesn't matter how many monsters are there. It matters how big the biggest monster was, and that is the horde you're going to choose from. 
I think I think that works well. You can still use these tables, though. If you like the tables in tri Trials and Treasure, you can still do it the same way. And the way is to simply divide the challenge number in half here or double the challenge number of the monster that you're going to face. So example is if you're going to face a CR26 dragon, that's 52. You're going to go to the highest table here, this treasure, treasure challenge rating for 41 plus. If you're facing like a 15, you would go to the level 30 you know, a CR 15 monster would use the level 30, the, the challenge rating 30 table. So basically take whatever the challenge rating is of the monster, biggest monster and double it and then pick that table. Uh, you can do the same thing for like quest goals and you can do this with the 2014 DMG as well. If you don't want to apply a horde to a monster, if you're not setting it based on just a monster, but the overall challenge, you could kind of pick that number and say, well, what's the overall challenge rating of this quest or the overall challenge rating that's going on here? And I'll give you a hint. I know I talked about the world doesn't conform to the level of the characters in in this case, if you want, what you can do is look at the level of the characters and say the level of the characters is roughly equivalent of a challenge rating. Pick that challenge rating or then, you know, go up and down a little bit, depending if you want. So you can say, like oh, characters are level nine. I'm going to pick like a level, a CR nine or CR 10 challenge rating that works. If you're using the tables from here, you would double that level. So if you have a bunch of level nine characters, you would pick the CR 18 one and you'd say, yeah, this one here, the CR 17 to 22. This is probably the table that I'm going to roll on. That will work just fine too. Now, one important thing though is... These tables are really cool, and it's great to have them in a book, but it's actually relatively complicated to roll on all of these tables. In this case, you theoretically only have to roll three times, 1d20 for coins, 1d20 for other wealth, and 1d20 for magic items. But then when you break them down, it's, yeah, but if it's gems, well, now I got to go to the gem table, find the right one that applies to the gem, roll on that table to figure out what kind of gems, what kind of valuables, what kind of art, and of course, obviously, what kind, most importantly, what kind of magic items. Now, the trick with that is you might do all of that work and go, eh, that's not really, that horde doesn't really excite me. That, that one doesn't get it to me. And this is where online random generators, in my opinion, are far superior to what you will find in a book. And luckily for us, we have a bunch of different online generators that we can use. One of the earliest ones that I used was Donjon's random generator available on donjon.bin.sh. You can find a link in the show notes and you can pick treasures and you can say what, ch what challenge rating Pick the challenge rating of the highest. This is using the Dungeon Master's Guide. This is using 2014 Dungeon Master's Guide rules. So you'd use a challenge rating equal to the highest monster that you fought. Pick Treasure Horde. I don't know what salvage is exactly. But you pick Treasure Horde and you generate it. So let's say we're going to go back to, you know, let's say I, I had a group and they fought CR12 dudes. So I'll pick a CR12 as the highest monster and we generate a horde. And he hit generate. And it says, you know, 14,000 gold, 2,200 platinum, fine leather armor trimmed with squirrel fur. And it gives fun descriptions of the art objects that they get and it has like spell scroll jump potion of healing potion of growth you can hit it again you can again and this is what makes it powerful i can keep hitting this till i kind of find one that i like wow this one had a carpet of flying and a plus three weapon battle axe and a plus three weapon rapier well, that might be too much but of course you can customize the horde you could just say well i'll take this horde but i'm going to cut a couple of those magic guys because they don't need they don't need two different plus three weapons and a staff of power at CR 12, right? That's a lot of stuff, but maybe I'll pick one of those things. So after you've rolled your horde, you can customize it. You can do this whether you're rolling your horde from one of the books or whether you're rolling your horde using a random generator is once you roll the horde, you can customize it. You can, you can build it your own way. So Donjon has a really good one. What if you really like the level up advanced 5e one? Well, luckily they have one too. The folks over at EN World also have a random generator that's built around the level up advanced 5e trials and treasure book and you can pick a challenge rating for this again we'll, we'll pick challenge rating 12 but remember i said they fought level 12 guys but they fought two of them so we're going to use 24 so again the cr of this is about double what the cr is of the 2014 dmg one CR 24 treasure parcel, 11,000 gold pieces, ceremonial gold etched full plate armor worth 2,500 gold, gold band set with dozen timey opals worth 2,500 gold, eight emeralds worth 1,000 gold each, potion of speed and an arrow sling. Really good. My only problem with this generator, I love it. This is fantastic. And it works well on mobile. It fits well on a mobile site. My only problem is that if you want to roll multiple ones, you have to keep selecting the CR. It doesn't remember the CR that you picked. And for some reason, the CR 24 seems to crash. So here's one you're like, oh, that's good, but doesn't have any magic items in it. So you're going to go hit it again. I have another one for you, though. I know I'm heavy on Sly Flourish Patreons 
Sly Flourish patrons, but I have been working on this. This is Sly Flourish's Lazy GM's Random Generator. It's a random generator for building all kinds of things, monuments and items and NPCs and quests and everything else. I have now added my own set of treasure hoards. These are actually based on the treasure hoard ones from Level Up Advanced 5e, but the CRs are done the same way the CRs are done for the 2014 DMG. You pick the highest monster, you pick a treasure hoard. So in this case, they fought CR 11 guys. We picked the CR 11 to 16 treasure hoard and you hit randomize and it dumps it out and it has links and the links all go to Open 5e. So if you see Liquid Luck, you click Liquid Luck, it goes to Open 5e and tells you the description for Liquid Luck in a new window. You can do that, you know, Universal Solvent, same thing. So that gives you a nice set of items. But also, it dumps out 10 possible hordes. So you can scroll through, find hordes. You don't like it, just hit it again. Hit it again. Hit it again. 10, 20, 30. You can get a whole bunch of hordes till you look at one and go, ooh, that one looks like it's got cool stuff. That one I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to add. But here's another cool thing that it does. You can pick your campaign settings. So you say, I want a campaign setting of Midgard. And you roll it. And now it's not. It has an entombed draconic scale of Loki, the northern trickster god of cunning, as one of its 7,500 objects. Twilight natural cup of the hunter from Midgard Worldbook as one of the art objects. So the art objects here are randomly generated themselves. I'm actually going to work on the random generation part for these art objects because I'm not perfectly crazy about them. But they can tie to individual factions so that you can get faction descriptions of it gives you a little bit of flavor and that way you can drop a little bit of history on the characters when they pick up some of the art objects but there's more you can add spells i have the level up advanced i 5e spells in here you pick your 11 to 16 and now what you get are one use magic items that are tied to those pieces of our 7500 gold piece flaming ethereal tiara of the goat in the woods that casts suggestion that's pretty cool. Earth and Aberrant Music Box, of course, the Crossroads Lord of Sun that casts Rage of the Meek. So this is really cool. Anyway, I built it because I want to use it. I built it because I want to, because it's, it, it solves the problem that I have. Another little feature it has is the, the amount of gold that it dumps out is, is not uniform. So you don't get 4,000 gold and 400 platinum. It actually fluctuates a little bit. It, gets, it has a percentage of, I think it's 10% up or down that it will do for any amount of gold, which means you get, like this one hit 10,000 gold. That's by accident. This one did 12,000 gold. That's by accident. Every time I'm doing my prep, I will go to the random generator. I'll pick a hoard. I'll find one that I like. I'll drop it into my notes so that I have that hoard. And then I'll also look at the characters and say, are there any characters that haven't gotten a really good unique magic item that fits them? And maybe I'll drop one of them on. And if I drop one unique magic item per character for one character each session, I'm pretty sure that over the length of a campaign, they're all going to get good, interesting loot over time. So I'll just kind of walk through it. Now, how do you know what items different characters want? How do you know what they would like? Ask them. So this is one where like, ask for a wish list that as part of our conversations where we're learning more about the characters and we don't have to do it just once, we could do it later on, say, now that we're good ways through the campaign, are there any particular magic items you really want for your character? Or any general type magic items you really want for your character that you feel like you haven't gotten? And they'll tell you, and then you write it in your notes and it doesn't mean you award it right away or maybe you've given something that's slightly different than what they asked for, but you drop that in. I have yet to find a player who wasn't happy with getting a magic item felt like it was pandering to give them a magic item that didn't fit their their goal i think they can they can fit i think they're generally happy to receive items you're giving them attention to the characters in a long nutshell in a large rather large nutshell a description of treasure and how it works again just to reiterate the way that i really like to do treasure is a mix of random treasure that you drop in random big random treasure hordes that you drop in when it makes sense on the order of one to three for 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 level so maybe every two or three sessions or something like that don't do it you don't have to worry about doing it too often you don't have to worry about doing it too little but keep treasure in mind while you're doing your prep for your game think about whether there's a good opportunity to drop a hoard of treasure in there and drop it in the treasure hoard you can mix up you, you base it based on the challenge rating of the challenge that they face you can use the tables from the dungeon master's guide or from level up advanced 5e or another source random treasure tables work really well for these instances it works really well to use random treasure generators online because you can quickly roll hordes find one that looks cool grab it paste it into your notes and offer it to your players and then mix in magic items that fit the characters of the game based on wish lists that you get from the players for the kind of magic items they would be interested in Let's do some Patreon questions. So every month on the Sly Flourish Patreon, we put up a Q&A thread. Anybody can ask an RPG-related question there. Any patron of Sly Flourish can ask an RPG-related question there. I answer all the questions every Friday morning. Some of them I bring to the show. Other ones become catalysts for future videos or future topics in other media. 
Sam E says, I'm really liking the Shadow Dark RPG. I'm particularly interested in the idea of using a funnel as the Kickstarter for a series of adventures. I've played some Dungeon Crawl classic funnels at conventions, and they're definitely hit or miss. What advice would you give, give for designing funnels? I am very new to funnels, so I'm going to give advice because why not, you asked. But my experience with them is limited enough that I don't know that I am really grasping everything that should be done in a funnel or shouldn't be. But I'll give one specific thing that I think is important for a funnel, which is why are why does it make sense to bring a lot of different adventures into a location where you only have six that are active at a time? So the example is a jailbreak adventure could work well as a funnel. The idea that all of you were captured and you're making your way out of this dungeon to escape is a good idea for a funnel because it always makes sense that another prisoner shows up when another prisoner dies. But that idea of if you're going through a funnel and characters are dying really, really fast and new characters are jumping in, you want to know where those new characters came from. How did they get there? Why does it make sense? So an example was in Curse Scroll 3, there was a big sort of Viking trial island. And the way I ran the funnel was that 30 or 40 new recruits were all sent in longboats to go to this island and go recover a magical axe. And we followed six of those characters that made their way to the island. But as those characters would die, new characters would show up from other longboats that made that made their way there. So the funnels that don't work for me are the ones where it doesn't make sense why new characters are just randomly showing up in the middle of a dungeon. If the idea was there was only six people that showed up here, but now there's another person, another person, another person, it starts to fail. It starts to not make sense why that happens. So I, there's probably other aspects of a funnel that I'm not hitting on. But the one that I, the reason I put this question here and the one that really grabs me is, and I think you could probably use this in other RPGs too, other parts of RPGs is why does it make sense that there are a lot of adventurers going to this place, but we're only focused on six at a time or four at a time or however many in the party. How can you make it make sense that new characters can show up anywhere in this dungeon as old ones are dying off? That's the big, the big question I have. Julia R says, I just ran a combat where I forgot some crucial things on my monster stat block. It all worked out okay. What I forgot would have significantly extended the fight, but I want to avoid doing it again. Any tips to make sure you remember what your baddies can do? A couple of things. One is, don't beat yourself up. We all forget it. I've never run a vampire or a lich correctly. I've always forgotten things. It's easy to forget. They actually, one of the pieces of feedback that Wizards of the Coast got consistently from 4th edition was that they had these stat blocks and people were forgetting things on the stat blocks. So in 5th edition, they tried to simplify them down even further and still we forget stuff because it's there's a lot of little crunchy little bits on there. But guess what? Your players probably don't care. They probably didn't mind that you forgot of certain things. So you don't have to worry about it too much. As long as the game was fun, it doesn't matter if you forgot certain things. But like that, the Lich's lair action of being able to siphon damage away from itself to another person, I keep forgetting to use that all the time. And it's critical to making a Lich work well. And yet I forget it all the time. So it's very easy to forget what your monster has. But a way to kind of help you with that is before the battle begins, like even if you've reviewed it and you've got your ideas for your monsters, take a few minutes before the battle begins, not a few minutes, but even like a couple of minutes and just tell the players, give me a couple minutes to just review things real quick. Enjoy conversations among yourself. And they talk about Cheetos and, and everything else and football games. And you look at it and you just read through the stat block again. And a few things to pay attention to are senses, because if it has, if it has like tremor sense or true sight, those kinds of things really matter. They can really change how the game works. So there are things that are in the upper part of the stat block that we tend to skip over that actually matter. Their perception checks, some of their skill bonuses, some of their proficiencies. Those are things that can actually have an effect in the game. So it's worth reviewing those. And then, of course, looking through all of the actions that they have. And one thing you can do is just look at certain actions. And you're like, I'm not going to use that or I'm going to change that to something else or whatever. You can sort of eliminate the ones. But by reviewing the stat block ahead of time, that, you know, not, or right before you're going to run it, that might remind you of some of the things that that monster has. I've seen other GMs who will take like a three by five card and write down some specific notes about the monster that they don't want to forget. I've done that on, on certain occasions, particularly if I know I'm going to forget something. I'll be like, don't forget legendary actions or don't forget about this thing, right? And, and actually, you can see that Wizards of the Coast has changed legendary actions to reactions for new, newer designed legendary monsters. 
And I think it's because we forget about legendary actions. I think that a lot of people run legendary monsters and forget that they have them. I forget them often. And a lot of time what I'll do is I'll just mash all the legendary actions into one big one. I'll just like, oh, I forgot three of them. So I'm going to do them all right now. And then the monster dumps out a bunch of damage and his players, what the hell? And I'll say, look, I forgot all the previous legendary actions. Oh, they'll grumble, but they know that they know why I did it. You're like, look, it would have happened. I just forgot. You can also just say, oh, I forgot. And then do something. That's okay. So you can cheat in the other direction, right? And it's, oh, well, I was, I ran a very unoptimized monster because I forgot about legendary actions for the first couple of rounds. Well, now I'm going to double all the damage it starts to do. And then they're like, you know, to make up for that fact. And they're like, man, this thing got really hard. That can, that can work. So it's okay to cheat in the other direction when you need to. I would review the monster you have and also just remember that your players are there to have a good time. So worry about it less. I will, of course, plug Forge of Foes. One of the things we have in Forge of Foes is, is stat blocks that go from CR0 to CR30 that are very, very straightforward. There's obviously hardly anything you, can, you need to do in them and they hit really hard. So they're going to be a good threat at any at whatever challenge rating you pick and you're not going to feel like you forgot something because they're, they're shelling out damage like crazy too. They're going to be much simpler. If you don't add on a lot of powers, if you don't add a lot of stuff, they're going to be much simpler than what you would find in traditional stat block but it's a good way to keep the threat of a monster high without having a super complicated stat block thank great question hawk says i am thankful that i have a mostly weekly weekly game that i dm for some relatives that's been going on for years now one of my frustrations is that we are only able to play for about one hour to an hour and a half the sessions are short so we usually only have two to three good scenes i know the easy answer is to try for longer sessions but that isn't going to happen with this group and so i'm wondering if you have any suggestions for a typical template or reasonable goals for what we might get through um, through most sessions what elements might might be important to include in each session I do. I have a few, I have a few different things that you might consider. And I've talked about these before the whole idea of like, how can we get more done in less time when it comes to RPGs? And there's a few that are hard lessons, hard things, hard truths, prepare for some hard truths about how we can speed up our game. Fewer players. If you have a fewer number of players, you get more done in a game, lower levels, play in lower level games and those co- the characters aren't as complicated and it's easier for them to do the things that they need to do. They're rolling less dice. They have fewer options to noodle through. Those are really fast ways to make your game run quickly and get more done in a smaller amount of time. Three is use theater of the mind or very abstract battle maps instead of trying to use more tactical grid-based maps with lots of who's going to move where and who's going to be flanking who and all that kind of stuff. Focus on big picture aspects you can still use a map but just draw something really easily or just put tokens or miniatures you can put tokens out on a blank map on a vtt or you can put miniatures down on a table with no map underneath it just to show general positioning and move quickly through that Uh, those are ways to kind of speed things up but also when you're running only like a 60 to 90 minute game that's really really tight you're not going to be able to get a lot done and getting only two or three scenes is probably appropriate so you really want to think about your game as like a TV serial. How much can you get done in a half hour? Look at the Mandalorian, right? The Mandalorian episodes are only like 30 minutes long. They're really, really quick and they cover stuff really fast. Cut to the chase. Don't have a lot of filler, obviously, and really think about what the big beats are that you want to have in that 90 minutes and focus on those big beats. Get them from place to place. Move them through the boring parts. Skip things. Do stuff offline. If you're going to do shopping stuff, have them do the shopping stuff offline. Work with them through text messages or through discord or whatever and talk about what they want to get and then round it up do email summaries of things that happen between sessions and really think about like how you do these big jumps and focus on the most interesting aspects and the best to me the best model that works like that are these sort of serials that you can that you can run you know running them as sort of a serial based adventure i think works really well Good question. Lucas C says, any advice or tips about finding spellcasters or adding spells to existing stat blocks? I want to start using more spellcasters in my encounter, but I find myself spending a lot of time just sifting through various monster books to find spellcaster stat blocks. When does that, when it, when that doesn't work, I've tried adding spells to basic stat blocks like goblins or kobolds and then get lost in the mass pool of spell options. I find myself getting frustrated by not being able to find any pre-built stat blocks or overwhelmed by all the spell options when building my own, when I just want to add more variety and abilities to my encounter. I have a book for you. It's called Forge of Foes. Forge of Foes has a bunch of different monster powers that you can tie to characters that give them interesting abilities that make them unique, many of which can feel much like like spellcasters. So you can drop these powers on monsters and give them like a unique thing that they, that that monster can do that makes them unique among other monsters. But there's some other tricks that you can do too. One is that you can either create your own spell-like abilities just out of your noodle up here and give it kind of an interesting effect. So 
and a lot of it can be done in flavor. So you know what a fireball does and you know that a fireball is like a big blast that does it. You can decide how much damage it does, but you can change the feeling of the battle significantly just by changing the type of damage that it does. A big explosion of poison or acid or necrotic energy or cold feels very different than fire. A sonic blast that blasts people down. And you might add some kicker effects like they take a little extra damage next turn or they're knocked prone or you, you don't want to do a lot of the debilitating ones like they can't move or they're restrained and things like that. Those are ones to always be careful of. Knocking prone is a good one. Setting them ablaze is a good one. Maybe making them vulnerable to something for next turn, although that can be pretty dangerous too. There's a lot of different things. So you might sit down and actually some people in Discord, uh, we were talking about this topic in, Dis- in the SciFlash Discord server and people came up with a pretty quick list of what are common status effects that you see spells and spell-like abilities and other abilities has in fifth edition and you can write down that list and then you can eliminate some of the ones that you know uh, or be careful of stunning restraining any of the ones that take a lot of agency away from the player are ones that i would typically avoid charming and dominating things where they just can't do anything on their turn those always kind of suck but you can do a lot of other other sorts of things and you can even come up with other ones so you might have what if you had a psionic there's yeah a psionic blast that's like fireball this would be really effective and really dangerous but imagine you have a scionist right a scionist a scion you have a scion who does like a psionic blast and it's like a fireball and it hits a bunch of people in the area they all take 28 you know 14 to 28 psychic damage on a probably charisma saving throw or maybe you could do an intelligence saving throw you could do some new interesting saving throws that they typically don't hit get hit by those that fail immediately use their reaction to charge the nearest creature and attack it with a melee weapon attack so now they all get hit with this fireball and then they all charge in and hit each other with weapons that's really scary really scary really fun you know, get used to kind of coming up with abilities like that and thinking how they work. One of the things about being a a GM is we're really game designers and we're game designers that have this like Petri dish in front of us of ourselves and some players and we can try things out. And if it doesn't work, we just don't ever do it again. Right. If we get an idea like, Oh, that was too much. Yeah. That, that, that psionic energy with all chased each other one time is good, but doing it three or four times, people hate it, which is probably true. You probably don't want to do that more than three or four times. So that can work. The other one is another another answer to this question is that there are certain spells that we just know are really effective. Spirit Guardians is really effective. Spiritual Weapon is really effective. Guiding Bolt, Magic Missile, Fireball, Lightning Bolt. There's a, a handful of spells that work really well. And we can just kind of keep those in our back pocket and drop them in on certain monsters when we think it's interesting. Last night I ran a game and I have a villain who has augmented monsters beasts a lot of beasts Uh, she started with dire wolves and then did it with spiders and she would augment them with spell-like abilities and i just rolled randomly to see what spell was affixed to these monsters and then i'd pick one that made sense so one could do plant growth or, or one did thorns some thorny spell one had improved invisibility they were as a spider with improved invisibility that was really dangerous and another one could fire off guiding bolt right and i let them do it as like a bonus action so they got a little bit of a kicker another one did like a, a fire breath they did they had the equivalent of burning hands another one had equivalent of lightning bolt and so they, they were a different power but it was kind of neat that these dire wolves had like glyphs carved into their heads and then could their eyes could shoot lightning it was weird and neat and the players were like what's that about and it was part of the story that these creatures were actually guardians they're not just wandering beasts and that taught them something about what was going on in this world so that worked really well as well so i hope that gives you some ideas for how to add spell-like abilities to your various monsters lots of different approaches that you can take a lot of it you can do just by improvising on your own you get used to it as you the more you work with the spells that exist in 5e you can find the ones you like write them down reskin them with different abilities so they feel different but they still operate the same way i think you can you can go really far and not overwhelm yourself with all of the options Friends, I want to thank all of you for hanging out with me today while we talked about all things in tabletop role-playing games. If you like this show and you want more stuff like this, the best way to see the work that I do is to subscribe to the Sly Flourish newsletter. When you subscribe, it is absolutely free to subscribe. You get a free Adventure Generator PDF and you get an article every week that has links to all of the work that I do anywhere. It's a really fantastic resource for absolutely free. You can also support me directly on Patreon. It's a very low price. You get access to all kinds of features. The City of Arches Sourcebook, Uncovered Secrets Volume 1 and 2, random generators discord servers the patreon q a whole bunch of different features that you get for being a patron of sly flourish really worthwhile and you can pick up any of my books including return of the lazy dungeon master the lazy dms workbook and the lazy dms companion all available on the sly flourish bookstore and forge of foes 
available on the Sly Flourish bookstore now. Find links for all of those in the show notes. Thank you all very much. Have a great day. Get out there and play an RPG.